Today's scripture reading is taken from Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, I will seek your good. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Faye. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Eric. I'm the assistant pastor here at Ascension Church. It's a joy to be with you this morning and in the Word together. Let me open us in prayer. Lord, your Word is both a great comfort to us and a challenge to us. Recognize that you, as the good Father, are always able to do both, to urge us onward, to love us more and teach us your paths, Lord, that we might walk more in your light and in your life. And in doing so, you do not shame, you do not chide, but rather you comfort us with the truth that you, the God who made us, the God who saved us, are always with us. And we pray that we would be, you would be so this morning as you have been in this service. We give you worship to you alone. Is it due? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't know if you've ever noticed, you probably have, the way that uh, young children move from place to place. They could be coming out of a van, spilling out uh, as the door opens, and going through the parking lot, or walking around their neighborhood, or maybe in a grocery store, but they don't tend to walk quite like adults walk, do they? They kind of shrug their shoulders a lot, or take lunge steps, or short pitter-pat steps, or skip around. And what's happening here when we see a child who's acting like they're going into Disneyland and you're actually seeing them walk into a Denny's? What is, what is happening that makes them so excited in that moment? It is, it is a joy, it is an enthusiasm within children that we see that, that it, is, um, it, it takes our guard down as adults, right? Children have this way of um, of just breaking down guards, even between uh, strangers, to laugh at a moment of, of just innocent joy playing out before their eyes. Their bubbling joy is a delightful, and it, it overflows. Now, while we watch children doing this, moving around and skipping and hopping and, and enjoying their lives, we chuckle at it, we smile at it, and yet... We may have to confess that when we see a child doing this, haven't we at least had the thought, if not even said it ourselves, enjoy it while it lasts? Or what of a young couple in love, uh, uh, 
newly engaged or have just met and found each other, rejoicing in each other, delighting in uh, important but insignificant things uh, that they have in common, overwhelmed by a young love, a joy. Oh, I could talk to her for hours. You could. No, yes, they could. They could talk for hours. But what do we who have been to that point perhaps and are, are past that point one way or another, what do we think to ourselves when we see this unfolding? It may cause us to smile, and we might think, well, enjoy it while it lasts. You see, there is a danger for all of us. The danger is to mistake joy as a type of childishness, to mistake enthusiasm as a naivete, to mistake exuberance for an ignorance. Yes, it is true. We are in danger of mistaking joy itself, the zest for life, the buoyancy to bounce above the waves for a childish foolishness. And in short, joy may be admired, it may be desired, but it is not to be trusted. And from this distrust of joy comes within us a skepticism, a critical view of the world in which we live, in which we guard ourselves in, often rightfully so, to protect ourselves from when the rug gets pulled out. And if the fools are the exuberant ones, then the wise are the skeptics. The wise are the jaded. The wise are the disenfranchised. The ones who have seen enough and been had enough to no longer be fooled. I think you'll agree with me about this danger if you look the world around us and what is often equated to wisdom. It's packaged part and parcel with a skepticism, even a disillusionment with joy. But I'm afraid the danger is actually even worse than that because it turns out our desire for joy will not go away. We crave it. We try to get it. But it always turns out to be a trite joy often, doesn't it? A bite-sized joy, the kinds of joys that are our good We may thank God for them, and yet they also seem to pass through our hands like water, evaporate before our eyes. And it's not that these joys are wrong in and of themselves. It's just that they move away from us quickly. It's like trying to tilt an hourglass on its side and fill both portions at once. As soon as you tilt one side to fill the other, suddenly all the progress is lost from what you've been trying to do. There's not enough content in there to fill it. And that's how the joys of the world feel to us, right? Not enough mass in there to fill that desire that we can, that will not go away. Psalm 122 addresses this desire that we all have. It is a soaring psalm of unabashed joy. We might say a foolish joy, a careless joy, a joy in God, a joy in His presence, a joy with His people. But it is, in fact, so blatant that perhaps even the first verse 
is off-putting to us. Oh, the joys of going to church. Is that what you heard? Maybe so. And maybe for completely reasonable reasons, we are skeptical. God, help us here. (laughs) We are coping with this. We are limping. But can we let our guard down to hear what the psalmist has to say this morning, to hear what this psalm says to us? We cannot put off this desire for joy any longer. We cannot. We must have joy, and we were made for it. And this psalm will teaches us pathways to joy, ways in which we can find our joy in a lasting way. And indeed, Psalm 122 assures us that God's people will find their joy. A firmly planted, fixed point joy, that zest for life, and the buoyancy to bob above the waves, even if the water is ice cold. This is offered freely to the people of God, for indeed, God's people always find their joy. Recognizing then our desire for joy, we turn to Psalm 122 and find a couple of encouragements this morning, three encouragements from the psalmist in which we can find our joy. Here's the first one. Let us find joy in his presence. This is a pathway to joy. The first way to find joy is to go directly to the presence of God, for this is where our joy is rooted. It is in being with and knowing him. Let me return to the first two verses of this psalm. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. As we've covered in in the previous weeks, but if you're just joining us, we've been in this series on the Psalms of Ascent. I'm not preaching Psalm 122 uh, kind of randomly here this morning. We chose a few weeks back. We're going to go through this selection of Psalms. And the Psalms of Ascent were sung by pilgrims, specifically ancient Hebrew pilgrims making their way from the coast, from the tents, from other cities, to the city of Jerusalem, up, ascending up to the city of Jerusalem. And we say that because Jerusalem sits at an elevation of about 2,500 feet. So if you're in Phoenix, you're thinking, that is ballpark, Camelback, or Piestua Peak, ballpark, not quite there. Certainly not a steep ascent like that, that or a very crowded trailhead like that. Uh, or nice facilities at the bottom like that. No, none of that. But, but, but just a picture of up, the city that is up, the city that people are journeying to is certainly up on a high hill like, like one of those peaks. And this psalm, Psalm 122, was almost certainly read for the arrival, the arrival into the city. We see this in the second verse. Our feet have been standing within your gates. This has a palpable energy of a group of runners at a starting line. Have you ever signed up for a 5K or a a turkey trot or or even a marathon and stood at the starting line with the kind of adrenaline within you just waiting to be released to go on to that journey? So we see the David and the people that have traveled, their feet are within the gates, energized and ready to move into the city for the joy that awaits them. And David 
David hears this voice say, let us go to the house of the Lord. For this is the way that God's people find real abiding joy. They find it in his presence. Now, how exactly is this done? How do we enter into the presence of God? We should pause to know what is different for David in his time and what is different for us today. For when David says, the house of the Lord, he is speaking of the temple in which God's presence was pleased to dwell. This was the reason for the pilgrimage, for the ascent to go to Jerusalem, because Jerusalem had the temple, and the temple within it had a place set aside called the Holy of Holies, where a curtain separated the presence of God and the Ark of the Covenant. And so the feast days and the holy days are happening here, and it's in proportion to possessing this manifestation by God's grace that he is with his people in this three-dimensional space. It's a mystery, it's amazing, and it's true. And so the Hebrews would journey up to Jerusalem to often for sacrifices to be done at the temple. And so when David says, I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord, he's thinking of a building, a structure, stonework, gold, iconography, a temple that was uh, finished by his son Solomon. So in his time, not, not fully seen, but in its beauty and glory, finished uh, by his son Solomon. And that was David's position. That was his, that was his thinking as he's writing this. But, but ours is very different, is it not? For we live on the other side of Christ's death and resurrection. And when Christ died on the cross, the scriptures testify expressly that the curtain that divided the Holy of Holies from everything else was, was ripped in two from top to bottom, right when Christ breathed his last And so Christ changed how this works for us. You could say he made the final pilgrimage of the psalm to ascent, ascending up to Jerusalem, not to bring another sacrifice, but to bring himself as the final sacrifice once and for all for our sins. And yes, it is likely, as this was written before him, that he may have even sung this at the gate. Maybe so. What a beautiful thing to meditate on the final prayer here for peace and good seeking to know Christ possibly turning that over in his mind, knowing the cost that it would be to bring good and peace to his people and continuing to walk through that gate. So we are in a different place with his death completed where the curtain has been torn, the temple opened in a way, and how this is interpreted in the rest of scripture is summarized well by the apostle Paul and what he wrote to the church in Corinthians. Listen to Paul's words about God's presence now being in us by his Holy Spirit. Paul says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You may hear a, a, a polemical tone, like an, like an argumentative tone here in what Paul's saying, and he is making an argument. Why isn't he just stating it plainly and saying, God is in the body now, that's the temple? Well, he's, he's talking to people like you and me, people who cannot believe that our bodies are now considered as a temple of God, and yet, how can it be otherwise? For his Holy Spirit indwells us without ceasing. 
Indeed, the former temple of the Lord was furnished with gold and set on a hill to travel to. God's temple now is furnished with the blood of His Son and the Spirit indwelling in His people, in their bodies. And so when we read Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. We don't need to like nosedive into our own belly buttons and say, I'm here. This is the temple of the Lord. Yes, Scripture testifies to that. It doesn't throw out the gathering of saints as we're doing right now, does it? No, it, it, incur- it, it commands that to gather together and worship God still as a broader body. It's bigger than just one person can represent. And yet, we do need to see that the joy that David had for God's presence, the joy to be in the presence of God, we are standing in a place where we are even closer to the presence of God with the Spirit that dwells within us. And that thing that is kicking within us for joy, desiring joy, is going to find it in the presence of God. But I haven't exactly answered my question on how exactly this is done How do we enter the presence of God and find joy there? Just want to leave a few encouragements for you this morning to consider. First, be encouraged as you seek the presence of God that God desires for all of his people to come to him. We already have a standing invitation from the Lord to seek him. Moreover, The scriptures tell us we have a standing intercession, that is, an interceding of Christ, our high priest, interceding for our weakness on our behalf. He has removed our sins from us and beckons us to come. Shall we delay for our king? Be encouraged this morning in seeking the presence of God. This is a desire of God for all of his people to be in his presence. He is only moving to greater and greater and greater revealing and having that in our lives. Second, be encouraged by the lack of prescription in the Bible on how to enter the presence of God. The lack of prescription. This word of God that transcends all generations, all cultures, meaning it is able to settle into very distinct cultures in both time and place and resonate with the gospel It certainly has instructions for seeking the Lord and being in his presence. It does not have a punch list that applies for each and every person, does it? Reverence is required. Humility is required, of course. Solitude can help. We want to stay within the scriptures. But the oldest pathways are the simplest ones that have already been given to us. The word of God and prayer with God, communing with him. And I don't know how you measure that word in prayer. I don't know how much, how many cups of what ingredients goes into the bowl to make the perfect experience. I don't think we should be looking for that. I don't think we should be looking for this perfect mixture. Why? It would become a a source of self-righteousness for some and, and shame for others. Rather, we come humbly to the Lord as he says, come to the door and knock and it will be opened for you. Be encouraged by the heart of God in that. Thirdly, be encouraged the testimony of many generations of saints like you and I who sought the Lord and urge us to do the same. Think of Augustine. You know the quote. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Yes? He was a great man. Not Jesus was Augustine. 
He struggled with distraction and all the things we struggle with, and yet he testifies, as best as I can, I'm seeking the presence of the Lord. There is rest, there is joy there. And other saints, men and women, have said it too. Finally, be encouraged, we have a God who identifies with our weaknesses and is eager to help us seek him. This is the cherry on top. The God who ordered our salvation is patient with us even in this process in revealing his presence to us. So let us seek his presence as best we can, says the psalmist. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Imperfectly, we seek his presence. Inconsistently, we seek his presence, but as best we can. If there's any joy to be had, it will be had here. Now let us turn to the second encouragement from the psalmist in like manner. Let us find joy in his praise. For God does not only give us joy in his presence, but he also gives joy by and through our praise, that is our worship of him. You see, for many Hebrews, seeing Jerusalem evoked a praise within them of this city of God. You see this in the third verse, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. Maybe it does not sound very impressive to you, but if, if you've been living in a tent for a long time, or that was kind of your, your norm, uh, that would be very impressive. These walls of stone, these houses together and stacked on top of each other, much like we take a flight to New York and you look down, you can't even believe what's unfolding before your eyes. That walking up to Jerusalem was you know, a relatively jarring experience for some of these pilgrims to see the beauty of this city in their land. And no matter the tribe, no matter where they were coming from, whether it be the coast or, or another city or a, or a, or a wandering type or, or a tent dwelling, they all came up for one reason, and that was to praise God, to give thanks to Him. Verse 4 reads, for which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Of course, and, de- and this, this appears to be very obvious to us at first reading. Of course, they came up to worship. Of course, they were happy. David comes within the gates of Jerusalem. He is filled with joy at the presence of God, of being in his city. His joy culminates in the worship of God. Give thanks to the name of the Lord. This is obvious. Nothing could be plainer. Joy overflows into adoration, into worship, into praise. Like an overfilled pot on the stove that you set to boil. You go to another room and then what do you hear? The the sizzle and the splash of the water at a certain point falling out onto the burner below. You rush back to turn it down or take the lid off or or something. That's often how we view worship. That this that this this burning within us, this this emotion, this this joy would just simmer and, and burn to a level to which what overflows, what comes out of me is this worship overflowing to the Lord. But I don't think that's quite it. Look, look closer. Look again at verse 4. To which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed. Do, do you see it? It's actually, it's actually backwards. It's not the desire to praise that is causing the tribes to come joyfully forward. It's the fulfillment of a decree meaning this is the other way around. Here here is the meaning. More often than not, worship 
precedes the joy that follows and not the other way around. Worship is the heat that is heating the pot that allows the joy to overflow, not the joy causing the worship to overflow. That is because we, what we know to be true. So often our worship is, is flying in the face of what we actually feel. And yet it is decreed because worship, worshiping God, is the heat that brings forth joy. It is in praising Him that we find joy, not in waiting for the joy to take us to the praise. And you might say, how cynical. I mean, this is a, a strange reading. How can joy be found in the fulfillment of a command, in the fulfillment of a decree? What's the fun in that? What, what happiness could come from that? Well, we all have our difficulties in coming into worship. The pilgrims going to the temple had theirs and we have ours. They may have felt tired from their journey, but it was decreed. They may have wondered how their family was faring at home, but it was their duty to go. They had concerns of how their livestock were holding up, perhaps, but it was commanded. They may have been asking themselves, how could I have afforded to take this week off and go do this? I don't think many jobs in that time had a paid pilgrimage leave. If you were not working, you were probably not making anything. You were probably falling behind. But the decree was set by the Lord that his people might come up and find joy in him. And so often is this not the same with us. We gather with the people of God in one place or another to give thanks to the, to the name of the Lord. We bring in our stress about what we may be missing and what's coming next in our day. An argument with someone, perhaps a spouse, once it happened outside of us in time, now it's just looping in our heads. Our resentment towards our own neighbor and our frustrations, perhaps with the church itself. And we ought to worship. We're here to worship. We're here to do that. But, but, but do we wait? Do we hedge? Do we step into the space but, but hope that the joy will be the heat to, to ignite us and kind of let this worship overflow and to take us to where we never need to be and, and never arrive at worshiping because the truth is far more often, vastly more often, and supremely more often, worship flies in the face of what we feel in the moment. And yet it is the active obedience in worshiping this great God from which joy overflows. And it is not the other way around. Not often. We feel a lack of joy. We feel an absence of peace. And we think rationally, I'll respond when the worship moves me, when I feel it welling up within me. See the tribes of the Lord welling up the hill, welling up to the city of God. From that command obedience comes the welling up and the overflow of the praise and the joy. And if we find our joy, it will be in worshiping Him. A third encouragement from this psalm. We have an encouragement to seek the presence of the Lord as best we can, as often as we can, imperfectly, Great. God will take it. 
and he will make it much. And worship is the same. Finding joy in the presence of God, finding joy in the act of worshiping God, even before the emotion of joy, it's there itself. And now a third and final encouragement for us who desire joy, who can't shake our desire for joy. We must find joy in his peace. So we say, as the psalmist says, let us, let us find joy in his peace. The psalm closes with a gushing prayer for peace repeated over and over. I'd just like to read that for us. The last four verses of this psalm. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. That's a lot of peace for a uh, short psalm. That's a big piece of the psalm. Uh, four verses of a nine-verse psalm to ask for peace and security. And then these two things that are being asked for, peace, that's that Hebrew word. I think you, you, many of you will even know it's, it's the word shalom. It's a, it's a wholeness. It's a restoration. Don't think of just the absence of conflict when you hear peace there and shalom. Think of Jesus healing the crippled man, not only healing him, but demonstrating his authority by forgiving him of his sins. That's a bringing back of the soul before God, of the body before God, restored as it was meant to be. And that's what we are heading towards is a greater shalom. That's, that's a wholeness and a restoration of, of all of creation is what he's asking for in Psalm 122. The second word is like shalom. It sounds like it. It's, uh, it's shalev. Shalev, it means a security. And again, don't just think of a guard. Think of, think of the peace that comes from being secure, from being safe. The quietness, the ease, the carelessness, the gamboodling around the streets that come from being in a city that is secure and quiet. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure. May they be careless, carefree, who love you. Why? Why this large prayer at the end and, and, and these instructions here this kind of, I, I want to say to my brother, peace be with you. I'm seeking your good. Why this high priority on peace? Because the joy we desire, ultimately, while being anchored in God's presence always and being stoked by worship of God, the joy we desire, and we know this, the joy we desire is found in peace. You can only be so glad to go to the house of the Lord if the city within it, it, it's within is in peace. Experience tells us this must be so. For there cannot be joy, at least lasting joy, where resentment or dissension or anger or animosity persist. And yet we know all too well that in most places the intention is not for peace. You don't hear the last line of Psalm 122, I will seek your good, very often, unless it's a commercial, right? <laughs> you don't hear that from people very often unless they're trying to take our money. Rather, 
than shalom and shalay. We have a self-seeking and a fear often in the places we go. And is this not the reason we have so grown to mistrust joy in the first place? For we know it cannot flourish where there is no peace, and we know that we are dwelling in a place where often we can say, there's not a lot of peace here. We could compare joy here to a plant in this context of joy being grown in peace. Say a young boy buys some seeds to plant joy. He pots them. He fertilizes them. He waters them. He places them out in front of his house where the pot can get enough uh, sun right up till noon here in the valley. And then afternoon, we're, you know, we're going to be in the shade and it's going to be a little bit uh, nicer for the plant. And a man walking by sees the pot and puts out his cigarette in it. And it, it shrivels the plant and it dies. What is this boy who wants to grow joy to do? He, he plants it again and he puts a no smoking sign in the pot to try to keep it alive and prevent that from happening again. But a dog eats the plant. The boy plants it again puts it outside, and a cyclist pedaling by smashes the pot on his way. And what do we say to the boy who's so much like us, whose joy has been bit back so many times? He does not trust the world with its dog and cyclists. No, not everyone's a a dog or a cyclist, but there are many of them. And he certainly, he doesn't trust the world in that regard, and he certainly does not trust the ability of joy to flourish. It's a fickle plant. You can enjoy it while it lasts. For where there is no shalom and no shalave, no peace, no security, there can be no abiding joy. What is to be done? Hear this prayer of the psalmist. Come, let us find our joy in his peace. For we, like the tribes of Israel, ascending to the house of the Lord, we in our lives are moving foot after foot towards the conclusion of our own journey. Indeed, the history of the church, God's people, and the conclusion of our ascent towards God turns out to be nothing more than God himself descending to us from an elevation we could never hope to reach. We see this unfolding in the book of Revelation when the city of Jerusalem appears again as it does many times. Hear this prophecy of the descent of the city of Jerusalem. Once pilgrims journeyed up to it, now the city is coming down to them. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. That sounds like joy, real joy, real joy brought forth in peace. And friends, we are hurtling towards peace. 
a peace already purchased by Christ when he made his ascent to Jerusalem and offered up his body for you and I. Christ, he who knew nothing but the presence of God and yet made, emptied himself, departed from that presence, descended unto us that he might bring us this new city of great joy. And Christ, to whom all worship is due, set aside all desires and wills that were welling up within him and walked through his pain and grief to the cross on our behalf, setting aside his own gladness that we would find gladness in him. It is he who will descend and restore all joy by bringing us into full and final peace. Let us rest our joy in him now in his presence and worship and await the fullness of that joy that will come when he brings his peace. Let us find our joy in his peace. Close us in prayer this morning.